Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Free Retiree Show, your favorite podcast talking all things career, money, and business. I'm your host, wealth manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside career advisor extraordinaire, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? And we are also alongside Silicon Valley's favorite attorney, Matthew McElroy. What's going on? Today, we have a wonderful show for y'all. Right now, this has been a major topic that we've gotten from a lot of our listeners. They've requested that we put an episode together on this. And for today's episode, we're talking about the challenges that women and women of color face in the workplace. Serge, you and I have talked about this a lot. What are some of the things that you're hearing from the people that you work with, people you know, and some of the challenges? Yeah, I'm super excited about this episode. Me being a person of color, it's important to me. What I'm hearing a lot, specifically Black women, they could be seen as if they talk too much, they're aggressive. If they push back, they're not approachable, essentially being told not to be themselves. And I think it needs to stop. So I'm happy to have Jasmine on to talk a little bit about that and just like her career and her journey. I'm excited. And Matthew, I know that your wife, she definitely puts you in your place on a regular basis, but you know, she's also talked about these certain struggles as well. So what's your thoughts on this? What Sergio said was completely on point. People see her as not approachable or too aggressive. And she's very straightforward. So, I mean, I think those are real stereotypes that are happening. Let's see what we can do to uh, correct them, right? Yeah. And in society, we're told to act a certain way. The truth be told, if you look at a lot of the major companies, the ones that are leading the charge in the U.S., a lot of them are dominated by Caucasians and men. And a lot of times that's caused a lot of females to feel out of place, feel like, They can't get ahead. For women and women of color, it brings an all too common question. Do we conform to fit in? That's where the problem lies. And this is why we're so happy that we're going to have Jasmine on. Because if you don't conform, are you deemed to be, and this is what studies show, if you're not conforming, are you too negative a person? Are you not efficient? Are you not a good fit? And I don't think those are truly accurate. Conformity in the workplace. That's what we're going to be talking today. For today's show, we are excited and delighted to bring on Dr. Jasmine Esclera. She's a TED speaker. She's a Puerto Rican woman from Brooklyn, New York. And what she does is she is a career strategist and she helps women with confidence and overcoming self-doubt. And guys, check out this resume. She's got a bachelor's in biochemistry from Pace University. She has her PhD in pharmacology from Yale University School of Medicine. She spent the last 10 years working at nonprofits, helping them manage research projects, research studies, helping with clinical work, and helping answer questions about the quality of life and healthcare around populations in need. What a fantastic resume. And then she's made it. That's the pinnacle. No, now she is finally made it. She's (laughs) She's on the free retiree show. Jasmine, thank you for coming on today. We are delighted to have you. 
I looked at your background, your bio, the places that you've spoken at, and we are just honored to have you. Oh, thank you so much. This is really the pinnacle of my career right here. (laughs) (laughs) She's obviously very, very sweet and nice. So (laughs) tell us a little bit about what you do. I gave the listeners a little bit of a rundown, but why don't you tell us in your words what you do? Yes. Thank you so much for the introduction and for having me on. I absolutely love the show and I love your energy. So I'm super excited to be here. My background is kind of a little wonky. As you mentioned, I actually have my PhD in pharmacology. And throughout my academic career, I was the individual who was like, I'm going to go to the pharmaceutical industry, make shit tons of money and buy my parents a house. But what I really realized throughout my journey in science and in research was that science and research seemed to be pulling me away from where I came from in terms of my community. And I really, really wanted to give back to the community that I grew up in. When I was getting my PhD, I really realized I want to go into the nonprofit sector and be able to help Black and Brown individuals and communities like where I came from. So for the past 10 years, I've been helping organizations really to be able to identify what are the specific healthcare and specifically mental healthcare needs in Black and Brown communities and in underserved communities, and how can we create research programs and clinical programs that address those specific needs. So even though I have a very technical science background, I stood in the STEM space, in the nonprofit sort of research space, and that sort of nonprofit research journey, that STEM journey, was what brought me to my true passion today of being a career coach for women of color. As a Latina in the STEM field, I faced an immense amount of challenges trying to build myself up in terms of career success, trying to really represent myself in an authentic way in the workspace. And it was incredibly challenging for me to do that. So about two years ago, I decided after a very intense long journey of building my own confidence, breaking down my own self-doubt and really achieving my pinnacle of success, I decided I wanted to help other women of color to sort of go through that journey all also, and to truly own themselves, own their confidence, connect to their identity, and build the career that they want to build. So for the last two years, I've been working with various women of color in different industries, also with students of color, and I've been helping them to identify their career journeys and really focus on their path. I love that. I love the fact that you're giving back to the community you came from. Can you just talk to the listeners and just talk to us a little bit about where you came from? I know you're from Brooklyn. Sure, you're a proud Puerto Rican. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah, so I grew up in the projects in Brooklyn, New York, Marlboro Projects, what, what? My upbringing was challenging, to say the least. I'm a first-gen college student and first-gen grad student, so my parents... My dad didn't even graduate high school. My mom went to college when I was much older, you know, and much more seasoned in my own career. And so I really had a challenging upbringing in that my parents didn't have much to offer in terms of me developing within my educational space and in my career. I remember being very early on in high school and my dad told me like, I can't help you anymore because I had just basically surpassed my parents in terms of academic knowledge. We were very poor. We didn't have very much. Growing up in the projects was challenging because of the dearth of resources. I remember not having heat, not having hot water. I remember not having food on certain occasions. But what I do have to say about my community and the reason why I really wanted to give back is that my community were my biggest champions. They were my biggest cheerleaders. I became a bookworm very early on in my life. I didn't want to be on the streets. I wanted to be the one that was learning. 
And every single A that I got, every single accolade that I had from as early as in preschool, I was the valedictorian, by the way. So that's something special. My whole community came out to like see me. They were always there for me. That sort of community of black and brown individuals supporting me was the reason why I wanted to really be able to service people in that community. But unfortunately, when I went out into the career space and the academic space, it had sheltered me. I thought that everyone was like me. I thought that everyone would champion me. I thought that everyone was going to be black and brown everywhere I went. And when I really went into my academic career, I started to realize and recognize that I'm actually the one that's different. I am the girl who grew up in the projects. I am the girl who at a very young age was caught in the shootout because of drugs. I am the girl who stepped over crackheads when I would go to school in the morning. And that's not typical in terms of the environment that I was in. And that in itself was the point at which I realized I can either continue being me or I am going to have to adapt to this environment in order to obtain success. And I think that's the challenge for people of color in the workplace, especially women of color. The workplace was not built for you. We all have seen mad men like the workplace is built for white men. And so you get to this point where the second you step into that environment, you start to realize I'm either going to be okay with myself and it's going to be challenging or I'm going to conform and adapt and at least try to obtain some level of success because that's just the way it has to be done. Wow. I was not ready for this conversation. This has been amazing so far. <laughs> Great find, Lee. This is, you're amazing, Jasmine. Lee, go ahead. Thank you. I thought you were going to say you're amazing, Lee, but... No, no. <laughs> Great guest, but Jasmine's more amazing. I know, I know. I agree. 100%, 100% agree. But Jasmine, so you bring up some amazing points. The way society is structured, it is meant for male-dominated Caucasians. When you're not, you don't fit that mold. How do you fit in? Like Coming from my background, growing up in an all-Caucasian community, upper middle class my whole life, and I think Matt and Sergio, myself, we're all coming from kind of similar backgrounds. In our schools, we're taught to act a certain way, right? And mm -hmm. it's probably very different than from where you are coming from. When you come into the career world and you're feeling like, wow, this is a shock. I'm different. I thought my past before that was what life was like. And this is a total upside down situation. How do you overcome that? Did you just say like, well, I'm just going to fit in or mm -hmm. what did that look like? Yeah, well, I didn't overcome it for a very, very long time. So what actually happened to me, and you bring up something really interesting, is that I went to public school in New York City because my parents couldn't afford anything different than public school in New York City. Public school in New York City, again, you're surrounded by individuals who are typically very similar to you. So I just never knew anything different. Like I remember having a friend who had a house when I was in junior high school and I was like, wow, there are places that you live that have stairs like inside the space. It would blew my mind. Like I'd watch TV and I saw these things, but I thought that that was never a representation of what I was actually going to experience in my life. In terms of what happened, yeah, I conformed 110%. I was a Latina I wanted to always be successful in my career. The way that my father raised me was you work hard and you accept what's given to you. You get a job with a good pension, a 401k and healthcare. And like, that's it. Like, that's the dream because there is no other dream. 
There's nothing else. They don't know anything else. And it's unfortunate because we're just not taught anything else. I didn't go to school even knowing that being an entrepreneur was possible. I didn't think about that until much later in my life. For me, I conformed because I 110% thought that that was what I was supposed to do. I was in a STEM field. So the only people around me, especially 20 years ago when I was in college, were white men. They built the STEM field. And the STEM field is built by white men who are incredibly aggressive, competitive, and it's a very bro mentality. And you still see that now in the tech space. That was the environment that I was dealing with. Conforming did not mean acting like them. Absolutely not. I couldn't act like them. I can't <laughs> act like a white man. But what I did was I made myself incredibly small. I diminished my accomplishments. I started to doubt myself so much in the space that I wouldn't speak up. For so long, I remember when I got my acceptance to Yale, I went around telling everybody, oh, they're trying to fill the quota this year. I couldn't accept in any way anything good that had happened to me. I just wanted to just be small. I wanted to survive in the space by just working super hard, thinking that that was going to be enough for me to be successful. But I didn't want to do anything more than that because I can't adapt to being a white man. You start to almost kind of just make yourself so small and lose so much of yourself. Like you just lose so much of yourself. And that was how I made it work for a really long time. I made it work like that to the point that I started to develop anxiety, panic attacks. I remember going on the train and I would literally be shaking going to work because I hated myself so much. Because the community of people that I came from, I had moved so far away from them. I had moved so far away from the person I was when I was there. So I didn't want to tell people I was Hispanic, even though I'm brown. I didn't want to tell people that I grew up in the projects because it was embarrassing to me. It was embarrassing. I say that with so much shame now because I let go of my past so much, but I felt like that's what I had to do. Did conforming, you think, help you or hold you back? It held me back 100%. No matter what I did, I still wasn't getting promotions. There would be white men who would come in and within a year, they would be in director level roles. And I was still six years later in a manager position. Conforming didn't get me anything besides internal struggle and a feeling as though I was giving up on myself and my community, the same community that brought me to where I was. It didn't give me anything special it just gave me internal strife, to be 100% honest. And once I finally came to the point of saying to myself, I can't do this anymore, this isn't healthy. And I really started to build the systems around me to build my confidence, to build my courage, to really, really become the woman I wanted to be again. It actually made it worse, to be 100% honest. My boss at the time, I started to stand up for myself. I started to tell him no. I started to tell him what I wanted. And I got a lot of backlash. I got a lot of side eye. I got a lot of, whoa, who the hell does she think she is? And it was only because I was standing up for me. I think, unfortunately, as a woman of color, I sometimes tell my clients, you may be in a lose-lose situation, but the best thing that you can do is win for yourself. And winning for yourself means claiming your identity, claiming your power, and standing up for yourself so that at least every single day you can look in the mirror and say, I am me. And you don't have to think that you're trying to be someone else. 
Yeah, that was going to be my next question was, if you are your authentic self, can you thrive or are you just going to get pushback? As a woman of color, it's 50-50, right? You don't know how people are going to react. Yeah, it depends. And my clients being women of color, the first thing that I tell them is, of course, you need to know the woman you want to be. You need to know the woman you want to wake up as every single day. And you need to go out into this world as her as every single moment. But the other component to confidence and to feeling good about you is your surroundings. You have to recognize what you need to thrive and you have to go out there and find it. I do believe that there are organizations and spaces that actually do care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Are they all like that? No, but I do believe that they are out there. And I think it's very important that we, as women of color, as people of color, recognize what we need to thrive and seek out and find those environments specifically. If you have a client that is having trouble adjusting and thriving and being themselves and kind of embracing that, what is your advice to them? Because I would think like, if they're not able to be themselves and thrive in that job, that's not the right fit. Probably they should move on. What's your opinion on that? A hundred percent. In 2019, I quit two jobs. I quit a job I was in for six years. The one I had mentioned earlier was incredibly toxic. And once I finally started standing up for myself, I mean, they made it really difficult for me. And then I quit a second job in 2019 that was an absolutely terrible fit because I was running from the first job. I actually became a PhD Uber driver because I had to pay my bills and there was nothing else I could do. I was driving Uber Eats on Fridays and Saturdays and every other evening just to make money because I was like, no freaking way am I putting myself in this situation ever again. I think the number one thing that you have to recognize is if you're not in the space, it's never going to work for you. And so as women and as women of color, I hear this all the time. I have to try to make it work. No, you don't. It's never going to work. Like if it doesn't work now, you have to recognize that it's not going to work. True structural change has to happen in this space. And it's not going to happen by you just sitting there. You've got to go and you've got to find the right place. And you also have to believe that no matter what, you can do it. I was petrified. I was petrified leaving a job, not having a job. I had never done that in my life. But I can tell you that I knew I was going to figure that shit out. And whether it be driving Uber Eats or any other thing, I was going to make it work because I was never going to put myself in that situation again. Dr. Jasmine Esclara, respect. I mean, that's a true testament to like your hustle. And I mean, you're Yale doctor and you're driving Uber Eats. I, I respect that so much. I think that's amazing. Going back to what we were talking about, about, you know, women trying to fit in. And I think it's a very common story. I know a lot of women in my personal life they face this gender discrimination in the workplace, but they unfortunately say, I'm just going to deal with it. That's a really common Mm -hmm. thing. You know, I'm not even saying like, this is a rare story. This is the common story. And I can't even begin to understand it because, you know, being a male, I can't imagine what they're going through. Can you give us a little bit of insight into what the psychology is there of why we know women that are incredibly intelligent, incredibly bright, they're being held back, but almost like say like, okay, well, this is the norm. What is the psychology there? Why do so many women end up settling for those situations? There's a lot to unpack there. I know there's a few different things. For me being a Latina, I was told that I was supposed to live a certain way. So when you come from a certain cultural background, you are almost kind of taught to accept certain things. When you are taught to accept certain things in relationships, in your career, whatever the case might be, you are more willing to accept it and make it work. 
So there's a lot of cultural components to that. Being a Latina, I am told I'm supposed to have a job. Sure, have a job, but that's not my life. I'm supposed to get married. I'm supposed to have children. And that's my beck and call. That's my focus. So there's cultural components to that whole, like, I'm making it work attitude. But there's also internal things. A lot of my clients stay in the comfort zone because they're scared of what else is out there. They're scared to repeat the same pattern, right? They're scared that if it sucks here, it's going to suck there. So I might as well at least deal with the demon I know. There's a lot of fear components to that. One of the things that I really do with my clients in terms of confidence building is a lot of inner work. There's this whole concept of the growth versus fixed mindset, where the fixed mindset is you truly believe that this is it for you, that you're never capable of learning anything else, that this is it, you've hit the cusp. But the growth mindset is one in which you say to yourself, no matter what, I am always capable of learning. I am always capable of doing better and I can do more. So it even goes down to the core of the mindset of how you see yourself and how you see your surroundings and situations. Do you think that you are capable of making it work to the point of just driving Uber Eats to pay your bills? What do you think about yourself and your ability to make it work no matter what? We are all trained to stay in the comfort zone. In fact, life teaches you to go to school, get a job, and that's it. And you do that for your whole life. That's the comfort zone. Stepping outside of the comfort zone is incredibly scary. And you have to be the one to believe you can conquer that. So if you don't have that belief system, it's going to be really challenging for you to step out of it. That's 100% spot on. You mentioned tech bros earlier, and I've been in Silicon Valley for a long time. I hope I'm not a tech bro. Um, <laughs> I think you might be, dude. I think you might be. I, I think, <laughs> I think you I might be, be bro. Though. I am. I am. Whatever. So my question is this. Given I've been in Silicon Valley for a while, we're all dudes on this show. Something I'm working on this year, how can we be better allies for mm-hmm. women? Is there any like tactical or any advice you have for the men out there in these corporate environments to be better allies for women, women of color? Would love just to get your thoughts on there. Like what can be done differently? Yeah, I think for individuals, especially in the tech space or any space, for a man who really wants to help out the women around them, the women of color around them, get out of your own head and start building, like looking around, you know, listening. So much happens every single day that if you're not really paying attention, you're not going to see it. And then you're not going to be able to jump to action. I've been in meetings before where even microaggressions, even small things targeting specific individuals, people of color, women of color are said, and no one says anything. No one checks anybody. So I am of the belief system that if you can stop sort of being in your own head and really sort of build the awareness around what's going on around you, you will see this shit happening every single day all the time, the ability for you to see it and then to act on it, to really be able to speak up for other individuals is so important. And so many people who want to be allies say like, oh, I don't want to stand up against my boss in front of everybody. You don't have to do it in front of everybody, but you can check people and let them know that things that they're saying are not cool. If your company is a type of style or place that isn't supportive of people of color, what can you do as an individual with power to change that? Depending on what position you're in and how you sort of run in terms of the organization or company, what is it that you can do to start creating some change? So I think it's about getting out of your own head and really looking around you because it happens all the time, all the time. 
does. I'm thinking of a moment where it happened recently in, in a team meeting. I won't get into specifics, but it was a microaggression against a woman of color and everyone saw it. Nobody said anything mm-hmm. until after the meeting. We all ran up to her and was like, hey, that was wild. Like, it's not okay. And thinking back, I wish I would have checked the person in the meeting, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I feel bad about it. Because I think to your point, it's if we just look, it's happening. Yeah, you just pick your head up, you open your eyes, you open your ears, it's happening all the time. And it sucks. And it's hard. You know, I tell individuals too, who say I really want to be able to help that it's challenging, right? It's hard. You have to worry about your career, you have to worry about your stance in the company too. But it's not above someone else's. So the ability to be able to stand up for someone is just another extension of you being able to stand up for yourself. So I think it's a matter of we just have to be doing this more and be more conscientious of it. Jasmine, how do women find their voice? What's the first step? If they said, I've been conforming too much. What's the first step to change that? I see using your voice as sort of an extension of confidence. Like when you are using your voice, when you're standing up for yourself, you understand who you are as a person and who you want to be represented as. And I see it as sort of an extension of confidence. So you confidently can stand in the person that you are. And for me, building confidence almost kind of looks like a three-step process where the first step is the internal work. And it's really the representation of how you see you. So who is that woman that you want to be in terms of your career and what's stopping you inside from being that person. So really developing the mindset, really developing the rituals, breaking down your limiting beliefs, breaking down how you see you is the first core component. And then the second component I see as competence. So in order to actually be able to stand up as your most confident self, you need to do the inner work, but then you also need to build the sort of skills to be able to do it too. So where are you lacking in some of those skills? And then the third part is the experience. Like you just got to go out there and do it. We were talking about fear before. You've got to do it even when you're scared. So you have to build the mindset. You have to build the core inner being of who you are to see yourself as this amazing woman. Then you have to like really build the skills. And then you just got to go for that shit. Like you just have to do it every single day, even if it's just one small thing. You've got to go out there and really be that woman every day. So if it's speaking up and finding your voice, what is something that you can say in a meeting today that makes you feel good? So when you leave, you're not saying, shit, I didn't take that opportunity to speak up again, that you actually said something. And it can be so small, but I can tell you that even those baby steps, that baby step of action builds that confidence and your feelings about you. I love that. That's a great answer. Now I'll take it on the other side. What about if you're the company and say like, hey, maybe you never looked at it before. You were just blind to the issues. And now you're saying, well, shoot, maybe there is a problem. Maybe they aren't being heard. Maybe they're being forced to conform. How do we change that as an organization? Yeah, that's a lot of systemic work. There's so many different components to organizations really valuing their employees. We all know that women, and especially women of color, I mean, I as a Latina, will make, I think it's like $1.5 million less over my career than a white man, which is ridiculous. That's one core issue is that your company is not paying women of color the same as they're paying white men. So that's one place to start is how do we show people value? And hey, you show me value by showing me the money because I'm here doing the exact same thing. So I think there's money. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) You guys remember that movie? 
I love that movie. (laughs) (laughs) There's that component of look at your systems. Are you paying people the same? Also look at your leadership. If your leadership doesn't have people of color, like if your boardroom is full of white dudes, then right there, you're just sucking at whatever you're going to try to implement because the people at the top who are trying to make the new rules don't even know what the hell they're talking about. You've got to look at it from all the different perspectives, from pay showing value, from leadership, who's in those leadership seats making those decisions. And also you need to ask and have the hard conversations. If you really want to know how people feel in your company, you need to really cultivate trust so that people can tell you the damn truth about what it's like to really work there. And when you hear those hard truths, you then have to create the plans to change it. I've been sitting on so many different diversity committees where people say all of these things and this is what's not working and then nothing happens. And it's just total utter bullshit. So if you hear something, you got to be willing to actually make the change. I love this. Just out of curiosity, a lot of companies are starting to build out these DNI programs, director level, VP level positions. Do you think this is a trend? Do you think they're serious about it? Just what are your thoughts in general of the tech in Silicon Valley trying to make a push in this area right now? I think you're somebody that could come in and really help these companies, but would love just to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Do I think it's a trend? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's a trend. I mean, there weren't more postings for DE&I positions after George Floyd than we've ever seen before. So is it a trend? Yes, it's a trend. Does that mean that it can't work? And does that mean that it's not coming from a good place? Of course not. And I'm an optimist 110%. So I truly believe that many of these companies really want to create the change. And I think that's one way to do it. The problem is, and I have a lot of clients who are in those styles of positions, the issue is that the company doesn't give enough resources or enough attention to those roles so that change can actually happen. So there's a lot of people in these positions that don't actually have the authority to do much of anything because they're not on the boards, they're not in the boardrooms, they're not the ones making real decisions. They still have to go to other people. And it's not a huge company priority because of time. It doesn't bring in money. It's one of those things where it's like, I think there's a lot of positivity attached to this and there's a lot of change that can happen, but you have to arm these individuals with the ability to be able to make good decisions rapidly and create change. And I don't think enough of that is happening. Jasmine, so we have a lot of people that fit the mold of the people you're helping. How can they find out more about what you do? And if they want to contact you and work with you, how can they find out more about that? Yeah, so I am super active on LinkedIn and also on Instagram. So if anyone wants to connect with me on those forums, I absolutely love those networks and just being able to answer people's questions and address people's questions. On my LinkedIn profile, there is a link for if you want to work with me or learn more about me, you can go ahead and do that. Let's just connect and continue the conversations. These are great conversations to be had. Well, doctor, you have been delight to have on our show. Thank you for enlightening us. And I mean, we learned so much from you and thank you for all the great work you're doing. Our society needs what you're doing and you. you have all of our respect. Thank you for coming on our show. Thank you. This was so awesome. I really appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Free Retiree Show. So long for now.
securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook, Inc., The opinions of attorney Matt McGillory do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.